0: I was recently looking for some sites to build a self-storage project on. And I thought it might be good to create an episode to share with you what I think makes a good self-storage site today. My name is Mark Helm, and I'm the author of Creating Wealth Through Self-Storage, and I'm the creator of the Quick Start Academy. Quick Start Academy houses the on-demand self-storage boot camp, which is the premier training I do that will take you from wherever you are right now to putting your first self-storage facility. Into service, if that's what you would like to do this year. You can find out more about it at Quick Start Academy or creating wealth through self So, I was recently traveling out of state looking at some sites to do a self storage project on and had one in particular I was looking at. We ultimately decided not to do it. I'll share why, but i thought it'd be good to do an episode today it's been a while on what makes a good self-storage site in my opinion and i think there's four elements that will make a great self-storage site let me share with you what they are the first is always visibility and it still is you know we track where our new leases come from and you still today You might not think so, but today, the number one in almost every facility, and if it's not number one, it's number two, is drive-by. Now, it's not like the customers or potential customers drive by, look over, see a self-storage facility, and go, oh, wow, I'm going to stop in and get a storage unit. That's not what happens. But if you think about it, it makes absolute perfect sense if in in the case of our portfolio the average customer lives 3.2 miles away i mean i've said this before but literally you can send a drone up and see the vast majority of our customers or potential customers Now, if we're in a location that's visible, that our customer base sees us on a day in and day out basis, whether they need storage or not, and they drive by and see us and see us, and then comes the time when they need storage, even if they're Googling looking for storage they'll see our storage because we're going to show up in our trade area when you google self-storage and they'll say oh yes that facility or they'll think about needing self-storage and they'll say what was the name of that facility oh yes and they look us up and give us a call so visibility still today in my opinion is the number one criteria for a site, or one of the high criteria for a site. Now I know there's an argument that with online marketing you can get people to go off the main path to get to your facility. I don't wanna get in that debate. It's totally valid, it very well might be true. I just know that I'm gonna be looking for a site where the customers will see us whether they need storage or not. And then when they need storage, they'll they'll reach out to us. I still relate to it like a retail business. And in my humble opinion, there's no upside for me winning the argument that, yes, you can drive customers to a site they don't necessarily see all the time. Now, the reality is the visibility will eliminate 90% of the sites. Why? Because mostly we're looking at kind of retail type sites. And most of the time I cannot pay a retail price for land. You know, there's a big difference between getting between 10 and $20 a square foot and getting between $100 and $200 a square foot in revenue, which, you know, some... Drug stores get over $200 a square foot. So I'm not going to be able to compete in that arena. But that does not eliminate a lot of highly visible sites. You've just got to look. What can you pay for land? I've done an episode on that too. And I don't have an answer. It depends on what you're getting in rent for your self-storage. If you're getting... $150 for a non-climate 10 by 10, which I just saw earlier this week with somebody I'm working with. Uh, you can pay a lot more for land than you can somebody who's getting $65 for a t- non-climate 10 by 10. So it just depends. The number two thing which makes a good self-storage site is the sub-market health or how well that particular trade area is doing for self-storage around that site. And I can't overstress this today. The site I went and looked at last week, that's what ultimately killed it for us, is not the site, not the numbers, not the buildability, not the visibility, but just what I saw going on in that submarket specifically on the site i just looked at the people who lived in that trade area had a lower income than the average facility in that uh, marketplace and we were for example in this particular one there was going to be a emphasis on rv and boat storage it was near the water so there was going to be an emphasis on rv and boat storage and yes people will travel further with boats and rvs to rent from you but i looked in that trade area and nobody in that trade area had a lot of rvs and boats to store so ultimately we kick that out because of that reason i want to be in a i want to have a trade area that will also use my facility and i want to see some economic health in that trade area and i don't want to be on the lower end of the economic scale well what is the per capita well it depends depends on what part of the country you're in you know sixty thousand dollars average income in san francisco is dang near poverty and 35,000 is very good in certain parts of Texas. So it just it just depends. I can't give you a number, but what I look at is in this trade area for this site or this storage facility, how does the population demographics compare to other trade areas in that same marketplace? And I want to be towards the median or above, not towards the bottom. Specifically, what I look at to determine the health of a trade area is income per capita, in-household income, and we've just talked about that. I also look at population now I don't have an exact number a lot very often used to be 10 15 years ago you would hear 50,000 I don't adhere to that because I mean it's great but I want There's we're in a lot of markets secondary and uh, second tier and third tier markets where you're not gonna have 50,000 per capita in a three-mile radius Um, I just don't I want to see some population I want to see some people there. I also want to see just as important to me is population growth. Now, I don't need double-digit population growth, but I don't want to be in a trade area where the population growth has been flat over the past decade or so, or has been going backwards. Population growth will fix all the mistakes you're going to make as a self-storage builder and developer. I also look at Occupancy rates and rental rates from the competition that are located in my submarket not in my city, not in the marketplace, but in that same trade area where the site is. I'm looking now. Don't just assume because everybody's full or looks full that that means it's a good trade area. You want to look at rental rates. You want to look at whether how many facilities might be in lease up. I don't want to be second or third in a lease up race to get the customers in that trade area. You also want to look at what the rental rates are in today's world you know it could cost us 50 to 60 bucks to build a storage facility a single-story drive up storage facility and it doesn't matter where in the country I'm building it it's gonna cost me something close to that yes it'll vary a little bit but it'll cost close to that for us today how we build them so Do I want to do it in a market where the 10x10s are going for 70 bucks? Or do I want to do it in a market where the 10x10s are going for 120 buck a month? Same calories to build the facility, just one calorie expenditure is going to generate more wealth and more value for us. So we can have a a project where the preliminary performa looks great. Visibility is awesome. The third, the next thing I'm going to talk about looks great, but when we go there and really look at the economic health of that submarket or that trade area, we pull the plug on it, which is what I did last week. The third thing I look at is the build, the shape, and the what I'm going to call the buildability of that site. Site work is always the biggest variable for us as we're looking at projects. You know, I've spent anywhere from $13,000 on site work to do an expansion, all the way up to almost a million dollars, 900 thousand dollars to do a five-acre development on site work. So, site work is a big variable. So, what I look at initially is the shape and the size of the site. In my humble opinion, the more rectangular the site, the better the buildability of the site or the easier it is to lay a storage project on there. I also want to have enough room on the site for water retention. Most of the time, we're going to have to retain some water. If I won't necessarily eliminate a site because I initially need to use all of it for storage, but it's gonna make it hard to get to approvals and most likely we're gonna have to do underground water retention if we don't create uh, surface retention. Now, I've done that before because the economics look good and we've had very successful projects with underground water retention. But in a perfect world, I'd like to have enough land that I can do water retention as needed on the surface of the land now what i usually do what our program is is i will have a storage fabricator lay i'll give them the site plan or a survey and have them do the initial layout rather than an engineer or an architect A doesn't cost me anything or very little and b they're gonna max it out now usually i'm scaling back what that fabricator might lay out but they're gonna take that land get the setbacks and max out what they can put on there why well they're in the business of selling storage systems and the more self-storage they can get on a site the more they can sell you. So I may widen the drive lanes or some of the drive lanes. I may add, reduce the building so I can get some truck turns around there. I'll give what they do to my engineer and then let my engineer play with it a little bit. But that's usually our procedure. So site size and shape is important to us. And then buildability. The only way you ultimately know if it's buildable is to get a geotech report. And get a topographical survey, which will tell you if you gotta build the site up or take the site down, but and then the geotech report will give you the compaction on the soil. You really don't know, or at least I don't know, till I get those reports, how quote, buildable the site is, but it's great if the seller has uh, a topographical survey or a previous geotech report that's a great start and speeds the process up and in zoning i've never had to buy a site that we rezoned very often in most of the markets we're in we do need to get a conditional use permit but i i almost always will just pass on a site if i have to rezone it now in the very initial stages of consideration I will reach out to an engineer who knows about that area, about what's involved in getting a conditional use permit or approvals to put a storage facility on a particular site. And we'll make a determination early on how complicated and expensive we think it may be to do that. And I'll walk from a site because again, I've only got so many years to work and so many calories to expend, and I'm going to expend them on sites that in marketplaces and parts of the country that seem to work for me for self storage. I'm not going to push uphill just because I want to be in this particular piece of property or this particular market area. The engineers, the fabricators, and our feasibility report are going to tell us if it's a good site and buildable site for self-storage. And then the fourth thing that we always makes a good site, and it's usually the, held it for last, but it's literally the first thing we do, is we run an analysis, financial analysis, on storage on that site. We do that first. I held off for last here, but I've covered in a lot of other episodes how we run the analysis, so I'm not going to do it here. There will be links. If you're watching this on YouTube, in the comments below, if you're seeing this on creating wealth through self-storage, in the text, there's hyperlinks where it'll take you to episodes on how to analyze self-storage, and it'll take you to um, a course on how to build your first self-storage. Facility which covers in great detail how we analyze new construction. But that's always the very first thing we do. Then we start looking at the other factors very closely. The good news is if the preliminary financial analysis doesn't work, I don't have to waste any time on any of the other factors. I will Look at that site, see if it appears like it's a site that would, at least from the surface, meet our criteria. Then I run the financial analysis. If the financial analysis is good, then I step into the visibility issue, the submarket health, and ultimately the buildability and approval process for that site. Now, here are some things here's the mistakes that I've made. The two biggest mistakes and the two biggest mistakes I still see out there. Number one, you got a good deal on the land. I hope you get a good deal on every piece of land you ever buy. But don't let the fact that you can get a particular track of land for a good deal be the main driver for you. I've seen a large number, and I'm sure you have too, of self-storage facilities that should have never been built and i betcha half of them were built because the guy got a good or the person got a good deal on that land don't let that be the driver make sure that the economics of the facility work the visibility the submarket market health buildability then try to get the best deal you can but you don't have to get a great you know basement bottom bargain price on everything if the numbers work at what the seller is asking for the land pay it if the numbers don't work don't pay it if you want to track pay what the financial analysis says that will allow you to achieve at least your minimum benchmark numbers. You do have those, don't you? That's part of your business strategy we spend so much time talking about. The other big mistake I see a lot of people make is we already own the land or we already own the building and we wanna do something with it and we think self-storage is what we should do. Because self-storage is high or for whatever reason that's great if you own land or own a building to convert just make dang sure that that trade area that is visible in that trade area needs more self-storage space in it right now if it doesn't don't do it hold it do something else with it don't just build it put self-storage somewhere because you control the land or control a building We live and die by our feasibility reports, and I've seen that over and over again, and I've even done it. None of what we think ultimately matters. What matters is the marketplace. Will that trade area rent storage from you anywhere near what you have on your performa, and will they rent parking and RV storage from you anywhere near what you have on your Performa? What we think doesn't matter. It's what the market thinks is what counts. So in today's world, this is what I think is important when we're looking at sites. Now there's still a lot of sites out there. There's still a lot of trade areas and submarkets that need self storage. No, it's not easy, but you got to work to find it. Thank goodness, or else everybody be doing it. I know sometimes it seems like everybody is doing it, but they're not. You're doing it strategically and with a plan and with a strategy. So, happy hunting as you look for sites for your next self-storage project. My name is Mark Helm. I'm the author of Creating Wealth Through Self Storage. And I'm the creator of the Storage World Analyzer, which is the financial analysis tool we use to run the analysis we've been talking about. So if you can find out more about that at creatingwealththroughselfstorage.com, click on Storage World Analyzer. Thank you very much. And I look forward to being with you next week.